Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You speakers meeting. My name is Christy and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Sunday, November 11th. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lori to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Lori, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Lori. I will now call on Irini to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Christy. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one alternative authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose. 
to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media and communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Irini. Again, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you speakers meeting. A speaker's meeting is where we bring a recovered compulsive overeater to the line to share in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. After our speaker is done sharing, we will open the meeting for questions and answers. Today we are very grateful to have Melanie with us to share. Please go ahead, Melanie. Thank you, Christy. Hi, my name is Melanie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I have a story to share today of miracles and firsts, of rags to riches, that by all accounts, facts, practices, and destiny should have ended tragically, but for the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not think that I was a compulsive overeater. I thought that I was many things, some of which were not all that nice, but never, ever as bad as an addict of the sort that would be addicted to food, for goodness sakes. The AA Big Book, 4th edition, page XXVI, The Doctor's Opinion, paragraph 2, line 6 says, It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality, or were outright mental defectives. That certainly was the case for me. In my family tree, there is a history of addiction to various substances that ended up blowing each generation apart. Not the surface addiction, the kind of addiction that warped, she, uh, warped. I guess I wrote sheets for my, uh, uh, for what I. This is what I wanted to say, uh, the kind of addiction that wrap sheets are made from. I was born in the late 50s in Eugene, Oregon. I have an older sister and a younger brother. Violence rang out in our home almost daily, and I lived terrified. I'm going to share with you things that are very personal in in moments to me, and I'm so grateful for anonymity. I wanted to say that out loud because, you know, these stories are oftentimes tragic that end in glory and grace. In my life, the cards are really stacked against me and my siblings. We were beaten, neglected, shamed, tortured, and abandoned by people that regularly told us, we love you. 
I found that if I walked ever so lightly, I would seem to be invisible. And being invisible, I was passed over when all hell would break loose. I learned to be silent and not seen. But I hurt, and I was lonely. Page XXVIII, paragraph 3 says, If any feel that a psychiatrist directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental. Let them stand with us a while in the firing line. See the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children. Let the solving of these problems be a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement, referring to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I spent years performing in in this way of being perfect, agreeable, nice, and hardworking in order to not be seen. I got away with it, or at least I thought I did, until someone would check up on my performance. Failure would be the end result of that. To keep up this facade, I had to have that ease and anxiousness and fear removed. Food would be that answer. The first bite and bam, that rush would hit me. From the top of my head to the tips of my toes, an instant rush of warmth and ease would rush through me and all would be calm. My muscles were all relaxed, my mind quieted, and I was free. This routine and rhythm, this cycle continued day in and day out, year after year, then decade after decade. I had to have this freedom, and I did not know that this very act of survival was killing me, and I could not stop. The only thing that I could think was I would think of was that I was set free in an instant as soon as I would take that first bite, and then all the fear would be gone. The terror inside the heart and the mind of a child that remained a child throughout the years that passed was only silenced by food, that instant oblivion. How in the world can anyone put that down? Page XXVIII, paragraph 4. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. They are restless irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. I dieted my way up to 272 pounds. I restricted and exercised primarily because I could get high off of this kind of power and the weight loss result. And mind you, this was by sheer force and distraction, if there was any weight loss really at all. I could manage a few months or weeks of this at a time, then when, then something would happen, some thought or situation that dominated me that weakened my resolve, and I would wake from a food coma once again, unable to stop. Page XXVIII, paragraph 1, line 5. These allergic types never can safely use alcohol in any form at all and I didn't know that. Food became the bane of my existence, the constant preoccupation with gathering, avoiding, cursing, craving, thinking, planning, running away from food, food, food. The anxiety and the fears mounted, and so did the food intake. I hated it, 
and could not leave it alone. It was torture. I was really at the jumping off place. There's a reference to this on page 152, lines 6 through 7 of your big book. Let me turn to that. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness, such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place, and he will wish for the end. And that certainly was the case for me, absolutely the case. I couldn't, I couldn't not pick it up. I couldn't keep myself from that path into the kitchen. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop the place I was, places I was going to that, that added to, add to the shame that caused me to need to get to this food. I couldn't stop. Life as I had come to manage it and know it left me demoralized. And as a reference to that on page 30 of your big book, and I'll turn to that, um, it's line, it's paragraph 3, line 3. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. The uh, definition of pitiful is evoking or deserving of contempt by smallness, poor quality, deplorable, wretched, vile, and in, in despicable. Demoralization is to deprive a person or persons of spirit, courage, or discipline, to destroy the morale, to corrupt or undermine the morals of. Incomprehensible, incapable of being understood, unintelligible. For me, I was at the jumping off place. Page 49 of your big book. For me, that I was agoraphobic, a pathological fear of being in public places often resulting in the sufferer being housebound. I was responsible for two children. These are my nephews, ages at this time were 8 and 11. They had come into our guardianship at ages 4 and 15 months. My brother could no longer care for his children. I had a husband that traveled the U.S. and abroad weekly for his work. I was rarely dressed or bathed. I rarely cooked or cleaned. I was an insomniac. I I usually was taken to bed and my bedroom. My husband came home on weekends to pick up the pieces and tried to put us all back together again. There was one day that I received a telephone call from my brother. I was ready for him to be well enough to receive his children back to his care. His question was, can you come and pick me up? He needed a ride back. Where are you, I said. I had been booked into the Lincoln County Jail for drunk driving, leaving the casino, losing nearly $10,000. I was flattened. Any false hope blasted out of me. He will never, ever be well enough. I was stuck with these children until I die. They were in my way. I do not have enough time in the day to pound pound down enough chips or sour cream, cornflakes, syrup, and butter to ease the pain that they had created in me is what I thought before they came home from school. I'm going, I, how am I going to stand this? I won't be able to. 
I won't do this anymore. I quit. I am done. These kids can just fend for themselves. I knew, I knew that I was done, that my life was over at 49 years old. My brother, who I had such high hopes in, that had a track record of misery and debacles, I had such high hopes in him to come and take these children so that I could once again be alone with my food, was gone. And I prayed, God, if you are really, really out there, I beg of you, please, Please grant me a change of heart. These children are small. They need somebody. They came from living in a hell to living in another kind of hell. It just can't be. Please, please allow me to be a mother to them so that they might have a safe place to be. Please allow me to be some kind of a decent wife to my husband. But do not ask me to give up the food. I really believe that there was a way that I was going to be able to be these things and still remain in the food. I really had some sort of separation around my behavior and what food was really doing for me. I really thought it was my ultimate friend. I really thought that that was the only means in which to function in the day, and it had nothing to do with a God. It had nothing to do with the failures in my life, the seedy places that I went to to get the things that I demanded out of life. It had nothing to do with my lying, my debauchery, any of those things. It really had been my friend and my deepest prayer, my deepest prayer, don't, don't ask me to give up this food. Anything, I will do anything. Please do not ask me to give up my food in exchange for these two important things. I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for these children and my husband. I really thought my prayer was pure. And if that were only the worst of my behavior, that was one thing, but it wasn't. There were years, decades of worse behavior and more to come more to come. It was not me. It was my brother. It was my brother. It wasn't me. It was my mother, my father, my sister, the world around me. It wasn't me. I was a good person. I tried to be agreeable. I tried to be a team player. I tried to be honest. It wasn't me. It couldn't possibly be me, could it? My drug of choice was different than my brother's. If my food had been his meth, his cocaine, his alcohol, his gambling, his pedophilia, I would have been in prison sooner and longer than he ever has been and would be. The descent into a living hell was steep. It took me to such places unimaginable. This story is not about the innocence of a gallon of ice cream or a bag of Oreo cookies or a quart of sour cream and a family-sized bag of Doritos. This is not a story of gorging on concoctions of fats, sugar, 
flour using molded rotten foods only to scrape off the bad parts. Nor is it about pulling last night's remains of the pizza box glued on cheese off of the cardboard and eating it or pulling the birthday cake that I vowed to be done with out of the garbage can and eating it after attempting to scrape off coffee grounds, spaghetti, and the scrapings of germ-infested food from other people's plates. This is a story of addiction and the hope and the promise of returning from hell because of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is actually where my story begins. Put down the food, and here's a food plan for you to use until you receive the one that you're going to get from your nutritionist, said my sponsor. How in the hell am I going to do this? My reaction, tears, fears, terror, panic, out-of-breath anxiety. Whatever will I do from the last bite that I take of this meal until I eat my first bite of my next meal? That could be four hours from now. This is what my journey would become, living life in between. I was really, really messed up. I was only blinded by food, that it was more decent than what other people were doing. Recovery was counterintuitive to my DNA. I hated life minus instant gratification. I learned to squeeze instant gratification out of ridiculous stuff just as a filler. Dreams kept me being able to do this because I would say when I become this or when this happens to me or when, 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 And there was still time, at least in my mind, to defer that gratification with filler and food. Twenty phone calls a day most days, sometimes more, to program people in central U.S. and the East Coast. I lived in Washington State. Each call got me through to the next call and to the next meal. Each call assured me of their experience that it would get better and easier I was scared out of my mind. I was only one thought away from a bite every single minute and the return to the hell that I was walking away from. Each would refer me to a passage in the big book that would teach me a new way of thinking and acting each call, each time, each moment. They shared their experiences, not their opinions, their experiences, by effort trudging through the 12 steps they experienced on the other side. They shared how they got out from under using the 12 steps. They shared how they accessed the fellowship and a sponsor, precisely how it was outlined. My soul was always lifted, but I understood little, and sometimes I understood nothing but I found that I was doing things that I had never been able to do before for a long, long time anyway, or if ever. You see, I'm only giving you snapshots of what my life was and what it became, what I practiced for 50 years over a life of terrorized, infantile thinking and living. And these things don't come easy, don't break through easy. My sponsor said, 
Take out the trash from the master bedroom today, Melanie. My insanity had gotten so ill I didn't know how to do those things. I didn't see to do those things. I couldn't do those things. I couldn't imagine doing those things, and I did. When I remained in my bed without bathing for weeks, even abstinent, she said, very boldly and very directly, these are your marching orders. Get out of bed. Get dressed. Put on your walking shoes, and I want you to walk outside for 15 minutes, not one minute less. Those sound like pretty harsh words. Saved my life. The mental illness was so thick. It saved my life. I did, but I didn't walk for one minute more. The result, coming in after that walk, did I feel better? No. No, I didn't feel better. Did I behave better? Yes. I made a dinner meal for my kids that I had not done in weeks and weeks and weeks. I found and I learned and I could sense the power of God. I could function when I felt like dying. Never ever before did this happen to me. When I felt something, I put food on it. When I felt something, somebody was at the end of that wrath of mine. When I felt something, I had no power. My true freedom is recent. I daily work the steps from day one in recovery. My nose was pointed to the big book instantly. The moment food was put down, it was filled with the precise directions on how I was going to be able to move out of this hell. I was taught by my fellows how to do that. A phone call a day with instructions on how they did this and how they were living beyond the mental illness to a full measure of of sanity that was functioning for them. I learned through my actions, yet oftentimes still did not even understand steps one, two, and three. I still didn't understand this idea about an allergy and the obsession. I didn't understand. But that did not matter. I acted as if by grace and mercy of a higher power that I did not know nor did I believe in. I acted as if. I acted as if. And I had the strength and the encouragement of the fellowship to take another step that lifted the doubt the defiance, and the rebellion so that I could take another step. Even when I did not want to nor realize that I was doing so, I took the step. And I would scream out, I want to quit doing this thing. I can't do this without food. How could anyone want to do this without food, feeling this horrible, even in recovery? I would be sobbing, lamenting, complaining, screaming out, and come to find that I had a phone in my hand punching up the numbers of a fellow in recovery asking for help. This was God breaking through that mental illness, that fog. I wrote out a four-step inventory. I didn't understand it. 
I had no idea of my part in the problem and could not see my character defects. And this was after about 50, 60 pages of resentments. My sponsor strongly suggested that I carry a pad and pen around with me and write down every single time that I was angry, irritated, sarcastic, jealous, mean, critical, and transfer all of those to a four-step inventory each and every day. I was quite a busy person. I didn't want to. I refused to. This is ridiculous. This is too hard. You're asking too much of me. Now, mind you, I didn't look at what I had done to get to that place, what effort was before me. But by God's grace and mercy, every day, those Feelings, emotions, those thoughts were down on paper and a four-step was done. Did I do that? God's mercy and grace. How in the world was I ever going to be able to calculate a task such as that? But I began to see. Slowly, very slowly, my willingness emerged. My actions were there long before my heart. I felt a shift in me. Effort was my first step out of desperation and no place else to turn. I was out of questions. I certainly was out of answers. Acting as if, not pretending, but behaviorally practicing right behavior to replace old behavior, even when I was unwilling, was the purging of that old toxic self. That was happening only by the grace of God's hand over me. The fellowship was the influence that sustained me, that brought me the precise message. I tell you, I did not feel better the moment I put down the food. My fellows carried me through with their stories of transformation and assured me that it would get better if I kept coming back. And I saw in them that that was true. I did not believe it to be true for me. I couldn't see it to be true for me. I had no experience to draw from that my life was going to be any better. But they saw for me. They hoped for me. They prayed for me. They showed up for me so that I could. You know, most of what they were sharing with me, and when they asked me to read the big book, I couldn't even understand it. My mental illness was so great, I simply could not understand it. God was doing for me what I could and would never have done for myself. He sent me 12 simple steps that I could not understand, and I was ashamed to admit that. He sent me an army of recovered compulsive overeaters that carried me. And I really mean I was flanked on all sides and continue to be flanked by these people to this day. I acted out, even in recovery, with meanness to my husband and my children. I live with a deep and abiding anxiety disorder. I have been miserable coming up out of this darkness. You know, we hear in these rooms by someone we love that we feel better when we come into these rooms. And I did, just as was predicted. I felt everything better. Every single thing up to this point that I had ever done in the past, I have felt 
and worked and efforted through with the 12 steps and the fellowship that has transformed me. I have been paralyzed by fear and misunderstanding while abstinent, daily putting pen to paper, being of service, consulting with my fellows, have delivered me from the brink of spiritual death here on earth. Walking living dead is a horrible, horrible existence. Being completely detached, disassociated from myself, it's been a horrible, horrible existence. It's 12 steps, the process, the precise process of these 12 steps has begun the process of integration of me back into me. I have found heaven. I have made peace to a great extent with my soul. And I will not settle for anything less than what the fullness of these 12 steps promise me. I have been held here by the fellowship of a powerful God of my understanding, and there I discovered me, layer by layer, of darkness and scales have been lifted from me. A spiritual awakening has happened even to me. The process precisely lined out, never watered down, never altered in any way. Twelve steps, fellowship, and service. Repeat. Twelve steps, fellowship, service. Repeat. Very simple. Simple for a mind such as mine that was warped. Simple. Twelve steps, fellowship, service. Repeat. All of a framework to change a little broken girl. My world became so small, my mind so ill, that it took this kind of work to break me free. A simple program for a very seriously complicated deviant such as myself. You said it was going to be mine. You said that it would get better. The clearing out process you held me through and never let me even, and never left me even when it was ugly. I continue to work the steps, make my amends, pass on to others what was so lovingly, freely given to me so that another one might have recovery in the way that I have. And I do this daily, gratefully, eagerly, passionately. You see, the story has a new beginning and an ending now. Hope out of hopelessness and despair. I am entitled to nothing. And I am grateful for everything. I am a walking, talking miracle of the 12 steps of recovery back to God-centeredness. Trudging, absolutely trudging the road of happy destiny. It is work and it is worth it. I am a lucky, lucky woman. I want to read from page 572, paragraph 3, line 4. Give me just a minute to turn to that page.
The AA plan is described by the members themselves as self-insurance. This self-insurance has resulted in the restoration of physical, mental, and spiritual health and self-respect to hundreds of men and women who would be hopelessly down and out without its unique but effective therapy. And that's the religious view on AA on page 572 of the fourth edition. And again, I just want to say I've only given you snapshots of things that I have walked through and experienced in my life, some of which I'm not ready to share on this, this phone line here. My prayer is that you've gotten a glimpse of the power of recovery through whatever it was I was able to tell here. And what I would like to do uh, is close by reading page 164 that we're also very familiar with. This means almost everything to me. Still you may say, but I will not have the benefit of contact with you who write this book. Well, we cannot be sure. God will determine that. So you must remember that your real reliance is always upon him. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. That has been the great fact for me. There has been a transformation. How do I know that I'm recovered? Because I don't behave the way I used to behave. I am conscious and quick to to take back, to remove, to amend anything when I've crossed over a line and hurt somebody else. I have a solution, a formula, and steps to do that. I can't stand it in my heart. I have, I have a sense of consciousness, conscience, conscience in my soul that I've never had before. When it comes, I can sense it and feel it, and I run quick to move away from it. I could have never done that before. The things that I'm describing to you are not anything that I did in my own effort. I tried. These are things of miracles. This is a true rags-to-riches story in every spiritual sense of the word. This is truly a dream come true. I'm living a life that I only imagined. I am so grateful to be able to share this story with you, to remember once again, to see so clearly the depth and the weight and the breadth of this miracle that has happened to me in my life that should have never happened based on my own effort alone. I share the story to the newcomer that may not know, that may not understand the way I didn't understand when I came into these rooms, that couldn't see, that didn't, that didn't grasp, the gravity of this miracle. I share this story so that you too will find hope, even when you don't understand, even when you don't want to, that you would stay. 
that leaving would not be an option, picking up would never have to be an option again over any circumstances, any conditions, any situations. I share this story for that reason. Thank you so much for the story that you gave me. It's mine to tell because of that and only that. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Melanie, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us today. We now invite those of you on the line to ask any questions of our speaker. In order for us to hear you, please press star 1 to unmute your phone. Once you are done with your question, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. Does anyone have any questions for Melanie? Hello, Melanie. This is Rose. Hi, Rose. Hi. God bless you. Like, I can't, I mean, sitting here listening to you tell this, and um, there isn't one particular question that comes to my mind, but um, I was taking some notes, and you said this is a glimpse of the power of your recovery. And... um, I know personally I'm going to be calling you, if not today, it'll be when I can reach you to share more of some of those details because I have um, recently, you've touched on so many things and I wish I had a specific question to say I did write down um, about your reiteration of the 12 Steps fellowship and service it really struck me that that is the core of of your recovery and I thank you for putting it out that way and repeating it as many times as you did because I guess my I do have a question and it's about sponsorship I'm I'm new at sponsoring other women in OA and I would want to ask you, I have a brand new woman, and um, I'm not sure how to handle when a um, sponsee is having trouble with abstinence. Uh, personally, it frightens me because um, I'm approaching six months, and I feel that I would kill myself at this point before taking a bite or I'd make those 20 phone calls, but the question would be, how do you handle a sponsee having trouble with abstinence? What What is, what have you done with it? I'll pass. Thank you, Rose, for that question. I, uh, First, I would say this. First, I would say this, and that is um, I cannot stop somebody from picking up that bite. That was a hard thing to, to, to realize. I can't. I was helped along by another person that had that was abstinent, that had their food plan, their their binge foods completely lined out for them, they knew, and went to a nutritionist to get a plan that was good for my body, my age, my type, and 
and continued to address things that even were good, healthy, clean foods that my body did not uh, handle well. And beyond that, my sponsor got me straight in to the big book and working those steps. Absolutely got me straight into that. Beyond, beyond that, um, I cannot make anybody absent. We pick up the phone before we pick up the food. That really is an inside job. And the big book shares with us some ideas on how to let John Barleycorn bring that to my own personal attention. And, and there might be somebody else that could answer that or add to that or better than I did. That's the first thoughts that come to my mind. And I'll pass. Thank you. Other questions for Melanie? Hi, Melanie. This is Mark. Hi, this is Linda. Oh. Excuse me, Linda, hang on just a second. Um, Who was the first person I heard there before Linda? Sharon. Sharon. Yeah, Sharon, go ahead, and then Linda, and then we'll get the others. Oh, hi, Melanie. This is Sharon in Denver, Colorado. And I want to thank you. Hi. I want to thank you so much uh, for sharing your story. Um, it has a lot of, lot of similarities to mine. And you give me so much hope that um, this time God will uh, be there in such a mighty way by his grace and mercy that I will see the gift of not only getting abstinent, but staying abstinent. And thank you for your honesty and your integrity. And for the times I've talked to you on the phone, I appreciate it so much. And thank you for your service. I hope to be there one day myself. Thank you. Bye. I pass. Thank you, Linda. Go ahead. Good morning, Mel. This is Linda, recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Good morning, Linda. Well, wow, wow, wow. I was sitting here just a moment ago so filled with tears, with sorrow for the the pain in your life because I know deep, deep pain like that. I, I have had a re- remarkable recovery just like yours, through the power of the steps and the fellowship and service and folks like you. I just applaud your incredible courage and determination. And if I may, I would like to reach through the phone very, very gently and give you a hug because you are a beautiful, beautiful person. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Linda. Other questions for Melanie? I have a question. This is Marjorie. Marjorie, go ahead. Thank you, and I am in in New Mexico. When working with a newcomer, there's different ways of working with a newcomer once the food is down. Sometimes I hear people speak about using various written assignments. Sometimes I hear people talk about going through the big book studying it the way we do in the meeting, A Vision for You. I would like to know when you're working with somebody, 
how you approach the actual mechanics of working with somebody through the big book? Thank you for the question. Um, I work with the newcomer in the big book using questions that I have to guide us through that big book, but it is directly related to the reading is all related to the big book. The intention is to let them see, let them study, let them their um, what the disease is, to know that even for the first time and how that situation is going to change for them. Yeah, it's absolutely to the big book. Step by step, day in and day out, every day. Every day, contact with a, with a sponsee with questions to the big book. With that, I pass. Thank you. Are there other questions for Melanie? Hi, Melanie. Um, hang on just a second. I did hear Janice. Janice, why don't you go ahead and then we'll get the other voices I heard in a minute. Oh, thank you, Christy. Thank you. Good morning, my dear Melanie. You know, I just wanted to also say thank you, thank you for um, for your willingness to tell your story and to share so honestly and openly about yourself. And, you know, I am so blessed to have known you as long as I have because you are absolutely the miracle of the big book and of the transformation and what happens to someone who shows up with your kind of willingness and and never ever leaves you know just just stays in there and hangs on tight and follows directions you know all of the things that that we are taught you know you your story shows that they work they work you know it works when we work it and i just also wanted to ask you if you might talk just a little bit about the um the use of service you know and how service has helped you um, stay in recovery and grow in recovery. So with that, I'll pass. Absolutely. Thank you. I had to take baby steps, and um, that was clearly a difficult task for me. But, yes, service in the beginning. At at the um, first place my sponsor taught me to be of service was in my home. She said, what can you do today to make the, your husband's life easier? One thing, just one thing to get out of myself. And we repeated this and then with my children, my brother's children, but then my children. One thing that you can do to contribute to the happiness of these, these people's lives. One thing. And then right over to the meeting. What can you do today? You've been absent for a day, Melanie. What can you do? You look in this room and you see if you can't see somebody's eyes that have tombstones in them that don't have the hope that you have today even with one day of, of abstinence and you go and talk to them. Find them. Then it was, can you take out the trash for the meeting today? Can you do that? All of these miraculous tiny steps took took something out of me and replaced it with some sort of usefulness and purpose that blossomed within me. Today, the way it is, me, the 
an enlarged idea about what is it that I do today to make my husband's life easier, my children's life easier, the neighbors, the the, the grocery store clerk. It's enlarged. What do I do at, at the meeting? Well, I come early to the meeting, and I greet those people coming in. I search for those folks that are haven't seen before. I... I read something at the meeting. I lead the meeting. Whatever I've been taught to do, those are the places, and it continues to enlarge, even to, you know, beyond the group level and that sort of thing. I, because of the benefit of that for the recovery that I have, and I, I do whatever service that I can do here. I, I become visible in here, saving my behind. And when somebody says, can you do this, if at all possible for me, I don't say no. That's been given to me by a higher power as well. But that's, in a general way, what service looks like for me today and how it's a necessary part. It's not an option. I want to add that part as well. Other questions for Tony? Hi, Melanie. It's Margaret. Go ahead, Margaret. Hi. Can you hear me? I can barely hear you, Christy. That's why I asked. Um, can you hear me okay now? You sound like you're in a tunnel. Melanie, can you hear me okay? I, I can, Margaret. Hi. Hi. How are you today? Thank you so much. Um, it's honored to be and and uh, I'm just grateful to know you and I want to be just like you when I grow up <laughs> and um, I just thank you I pass thank you so much thank you so much the thing that I love about recovery is that it that that had me hold on is that this is a was a promise to me in spite of me it was a promise even for someone like me that was born on that side of the tracks with that kind of history, it was a promise for me when the 12 steps were exercised in action. It, it, wasn't for, it wasn't a lottery. It wasn't for the gifted. It wasn't for those that were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. It was for someone like me, promised, promised. It's right here. It's promised. If you... When you do these steps, this is going to happen. And then I saw it with by that it happened with lots and lots and lots and lots of people. That depth and weight said, oh, it might, it might, and it did. And I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. Can you hear me? Okay. You're muffled. I'm, yeah, I'm surprised. I, you're a bit muffled, like somebody has a a, a gag over your mouth or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to hear you. <laughs> yeah, I take off my head, thank you, Melanie. Are there other questions for Melanie? I have one. Go ahead. Um, Melanie, thank you so much for your service and your story. Um, I heard a lot about what it was like for you and what happened, and I'd love to hear more about what it's like now. How are your relationships with your husband, your nephews? Have you experienced physical recovery? Do you have freedom from food obsession? Can you tell us a little bit about what your life is like today? I would love to. Thank you for asking the question. Yes, I have freedom from the food obsession. That came um, 
fairly early on in recovery, and the thing that was so amazing for me is when I was able to step back and I had teenage boys in the house that were well over six feet tall that would eat me out of house and home, and and I stocked it with um, with all the things that I love because I'm a food pusher. That was before I learned. Anyway, so I had ice cream in my house and pizzas and and uh, cheese and uh, cookies and uh, you know all the things that were even kind of non-food items that I would eat. You know all that stuff in my house, and I had this thing that said, "Oh my gosh, I don't think about it. Oh my gosh, I am throwing this away because it has gone bad." It is never, never in fifty years had that experience ever happened to me, and that continues to this day without fault. It continues to this day. I came in, the last time I'd weighed was, uh, I was 272, and I hadn't weighed for months and months, maybe a year or more. And so I'm not real sure what I weighed when I came in. But from that weight level, um, I am maintaining um, over a 150-pound weight loss and have been in that situation for almost six years now of that kind of weight loss. Um, miracle, miracle, and I wear a size 2-4 where I was busting out of a size 26 stretch pants. My best costume was uh, my day-to-night wear was uh, I would put a brooch and a, and a uh, scarf around my black sweat gear, but I get to wear everything and season after season after season the same clothes fit. It's a, it's a miracle. I might have passed through that size somewhere when I was in my grade school years or something, but that is miraculous. The relationship with my husband, oh, that's a very tender part for me. As you know, I was emotional through this whole thing. It's a very tender part. That man endured such abuse from me, the likes of which I'm ashamed to to say in detail. And I have a lifetime of amends to make to him, and I have fallen in love with him head over heels. As a result of this recovery program and the respect that I have for him and the behavior that has changed in me, not pretending, it comes from the inside willingly. It's a match from the inside out. My children that I held such a tight fist over and a thumb on their head because I did not want them to turn out like me and my brother, that I suffocated them. I can allow them to make their their decisions and choices and I love them in such a way that I have never been able to before with with such freedom. And I'm able to, with the support of the of the network that I have in recovery here, let them live out those choices that they make. And and oftentimes they're painful. And more times not more painful for me. With my mouth closed, my love and support with them, seeing them through. Thank you for asking the question. With that I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Other questions for Melanie? This is Nahama from Cleveland. Yes, go ahead. Hi, Melanie. Um, if I'm going to say thank you, it's not going to be enough, like what I feel in my heart, you know, for you sharing your story and telling all those things. And I am a compulsive overeater, not recovered yet. And I feel like many times, you know, I've been in OA for years and years and years. And I feel like many times when I start again, my disease is telling me, 
you know, what makes you believe that this time it's going to work, you know? I, I just don't feel that I believe anymore in myself because going through those things so many times. But finally, thanks God, I got a sponsor from A Vision for You. And and I hope, I really hope that, you know, I told her that I, I want to become one of those miracles. I want to be like one of those people online that, that share their story. And I, I hope that I'm going to get there. And I just think about what I just said before, that I'm a compulsive overeater, not recovered yet. Saying that is actually giving me a feeling that maybe there is hope, because I feel it's not yet. But if I'll do what it takes, it will take me there, even though I, I made so many attempts, you know, to to try time and again, time and again. And I just got to the point that, I have so much knowledge about the program. I started like 30 years ago. I, you can probably tell by my accent that I'm not here. I'm originally from Israel. I started when I was 30 years ago in Israel. I'm in the States for the past 24 years. And I don't know, it, it, was, it was just not going for me. And, and I hope that this time it will. I'm listening to the visions for you every day, most of the time to the recording sometimes to the live meeting, and I just, I just hope, you know, that I'll, I'll be able to, to get to that place where all those people that share, you know, in recovery, people that recovered, you know, will come to me too. Thank you very much. And I was also going to ask if it's possible to get your phone number. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. My telephone number is uh, Central Time, 541 541- Nine zero eight one two two one, and that's my personal ATT cell phone. And so the messages that are left there are are secure, and so you don't have to worry about leaving any kind of message you want to. And if you leave a message, I will get back to you. The other thing I wanted to talk about is that I came in here with all the wreckage of my my past. I brought it right here with me. It was fresh. It was who I was. It was from the angle in which I operated from. I had no no idea, no experience that told me that I was going to be any different than I am today. I'm a visual person, and so when I started calling people and talking to them about me, developing intimate relationships that they would know me intimately right away, they would remind me that now in my basket I have a new experience to draw from for the next. And they helped keep my mind wrapped around that one, made that one larger than the loud, loud sound of the, of the um, obsession of the mind that was coming to me, made that come alive for me, and that built to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, that I have a huge basket full of those that come now, oftentimes before anything else comes. So it works just like that, being absolutely flanked by other people. I took their language, their voice, their their words, voices of angels, and absorbed it into my own. And then a vision came to me one time really early on in recovery, and that was um, a a vision of Christopher Reeve. Maybe you folks remember who that is, and he was an actor, played Superman, and he had an an injury that uh, rendered him... Um, paralyzed from the neck down, and he was completely, totally dependent upon an iron lung to take a breath. And with that, he was dependent upon electricity and other people to make sure that he could take another breath completely. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And then the question came to me, how many hours in a day, Melanie, do you think 
that that man puts towards recovery and service, philanthropy, and I was dumbfounded. And I used that image. I used many, many images to change and shift the way I used to be and live. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you so much. And thank you for giving out your number so that as questions come up, people can call and ask you. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who participated today. Thank you so much, Lori and Irini, for reading uh, the 12 Steps and the 12 Traditions. And especially thank you to Melanie for offering so much of yourself today. I will now read from the big book, In a Vision for You, page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I will ask everyone to press star 